Josh Allen getting injured, Nathan Peterman coming in and saving the day temporarily, and then also doing exactly what he's done in his other games for the Bills on your prediction card, then congratulations. But that, uh, that was literally how no one else thought this game was going to pan out. And unfortunately, for Bills Beat listeners, Matthew Fairburn, no kegerator in the uh, in the Houston Texans press box. So I'm sorry to everyone. You're not going to get a uh, a uh, lubed up Matthew Fairburn. No, I'm pretty fired up about no kegerator. So <laughs> on the flip side, that's what you get. Yeah. Uh, everybody always likes to make fun of my even keel nature, but yeah, maybe that'll change here yeah. by the end of the show. Yeah, maybe. Um, so the Bills. Have a 20 to 13 defeat to the Texans. The Bills are now two and four on the season. With 13 minutes to go, they were in a position to win the game. Um, and quite honestly, the worst possible thing that could have ha- happened to them happened to them today, and that is in the form of Josh Allen getting injured. And that is, um, I guess. We're, we're not going to know by the end of this podcast what his prognosis will be, but the fact that there wasn't even a chance for him to come back into the game um, at any point. Like, he threw the ball around a couple of times. It seemed like he wanted to come back in, but it just, they, they shut him down immediately after that. And then he looked dejected on the sidelines, um, and really it was just a lot of the fears that maybe Bills fans had about putting all their eggs in the Josh Allen basket for 2018 in his development, if he gets hurt and isn't allowed to develop because of an injury, then that basically turns 2018 into a big old pile of dog doo-doo because it's what, – what do you – how do you grow as an offense with without your rookie quarterback? But, you know, early on in the game, it was a lot of the same. And that is cause for concern because this is now, I don't know, the fifth straight week that the offense just hasn't looked the part. And do they have the greatest offensive pieces? No. Is Josh Allen holding them back a bit as well? Yes, he is. And and in a cruel twist of fate, Matthew, for Bills fans who have been waiting, and we even talked about this a couple episodes ago, who have been waiting for that one throw to really sink your teeth into me, like, man, that's what Josh Allen brings to the table. He freaking gets hurt on that play. He tries to gut it out the next play. He can't complete the pass. His elbow is all jacked up, and, and he has to get taken out of the game. I mean, could you... Have it go any worse for the Bills' offense today? I don't think you could. It's gone worse in games, but in terms of the— <laughs> You mean in L.A. last year? <laughs> in terms of the disaster plays and things going wrong, it was an ugly, ugly day. And you have to be a little bit worried that it was an elbow on the throwing arm for Josh Allen because he was down for quite a while, and like you said, it didn't look— they had him as questionable to return, but it didn't look like there was much thought given to him coming back into the game. He had the ball cap on pretty quickly once he got to the bench and was you know, sitting there for the remainder of the afternoon. So I don't know what's up with the elbow, but anytime it's an elbow on a throwing arm for a guy that you know kind of lives and dies by his arm, then it's a little bit concerning. It's also... A bit of a bummer when it comes, like you said, on the one play, one throw he's made all year that got, gets you excited right. about his development. And that's probably, you know, where this thing, you know, kind of went off the rails a little bit because he wasn't looking good before that at all. And he finally looked like he was stringing together some confidence and, and making some plays and then he has to leave the game. And if he has to miss any extended period of time, I don't know why you're why you're tuning in, quite frankly. What are you tuning in to watch? Because 
they're going to continue to waste great defensive efforts. They're not going to be able to win a ton of games. They'll be competitive, but they won't be all that much to watch. And I know a lot of people want Nathan Peterman off the roster, and I understand it 100% because he was once again a nightmare today. Mm-hmm. But they might not have a choice but to keep him. If Josh Allen isn't ready to play next week, you exactly. need to have two quarterbacks up. He knows the offense. Maybe you can get Derek Anderson up to speed in time to start that game. But I don't know that you're finding somebody on the street that you feel comfortable with as a backup in that short period of time. So this could get uglier, Mm -hmm. believe it or not, on that side of the ball. And it would be – it makes it even harder to watch if you're a Bills fan when you know – at least with Josh Allen, you're you're like, all right, he's taking his lumps, you know, and maybe there's going to be something there that right. a and few you, plays that bring you coming back. But if, and you can track his development more more because like if small example, and I think we'll talk about this guy a little bit too. Zay Jones has made strides, or really over the last three games, where it's it seems like he's starting to settle in and it's starting to click a little bit, and you can see those signs of progress week in and and week out in his second season. If that is robbed from Bills fans at the position that people have been clamoring for for years on end to draft a legitimate prospect, to which they did this year, if that is robbed from them in what is supposed to be a rebuild year, I mean, that is going to be a tough pill to swallow. For sure. I mean, like I said, it kind of robs you of any reason to tune into this team. And it could end up being maybe a good thing for Josh Allen you know you get he gets to take a step back and maybe take a breather for a week or two depending on you know the severity of that injury but it certainly doesn't make the season any more exciting I mean you could argue that this is one of the least entertaining teams to watch because they play such good defense that you don't even you know it turns a usually entertaining Texans offense into a a mess really I mean and that's fun to watch in some ways uh good defensive football but then you know it, it that was one of the sloppiest football games we've watched and uh, you know there were Texans reporters saying like like man this is a this is an ugly game they're not used to seeing quite that ugly of a game and I'm sitting there thinking this is only like the third or fourth most you know ugliest game that we've seen this year oh yeah <laughs> I mean this has kind of become the norm and it gets even uglier if Josh Allen isn't in the game. Not that it was super pretty with him in it, but, man. For a second, it looked like Nathan Peterman was going to save, get his redemption. Save the day. That touchdown pass was the best throw a Bills quarterback has made all season long. Yes, yes. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, it went for points. It was a dime. It, it was a great you, throw. You have to give Nathan Peterman all the credit. It was a great and route thought, by Zay Jones. It, it's like, okay, this is his his saying, all right, I can actually do the job. And then, and then he good, can't. Good Lord. It's crazy that you can – he's played in five games now. Mm-hmm. And you can point to so many moments. Well, six games, actually, if you count the Jaguars playoff game. Ooh, I forgot about that one. He ended their season with an interception in Jacksonville. He had a five-interception half in San Diego. He had a zero quarterback rating, including a couple laughable interceptions in Baltimore. And now this, where Jonathan Joseph baited him so bad. It was was just... The play happened, and it was like you knew it was going to... It was like the most predictable play... I've ever seen and mm-hmm. Jonathan it was the clearly the most predictable play for Jonathan Joseph because he made it look so easy and you're just sitting there thinking what more can happen to this guy mm-hmm. and he's a really nice guy and it's not really his fault because yeah he's not good he's quite bad in fact one of the worst quarterbacks he will probably go down as one of the worst quarterbacks in NFL history but that's not even his fault because mm-hmm. The only reason he's going to go down as one of the worst quarterbacks in NFL history is because he keeps getting put in there. And that's not really on him. Mm -hmm. He's just out there trying to make something happen, you know, when he's in there. He shouldn't be the the backup quarterback of this team. 
he never should have been the starting quarterback of this team at any point. But Sean McDermott kind of forced the Bills' hand a few times and has been stubborn beyond belief with Peterman and his belief in Peterman. I remember all offseason, you know, the talk being, you know, way too much is made about that five interception game and that is not going to define him that's not who he is that's who he is right at this point and you can't argue differently because every time he goes on the field it's a nightmare waiting to happen you're waiting for that play to happen when he's on the field and it's who's calling the out the deep out because that is the most disastrous call for him? For Peterman. Yeah. It, it, he can't throw to the sideline. I mean, there are, no there arm. have been so many examples throughout his time training on the field. camp, preseason, yes. regular season. Yes. That's where he gets himself in trouble. The Chargers game, it happened. The Jags game, it happened. Uh, I don't. The first throw of training camp was almost a right. pick six by Tredavious White, but he dropped it. Right. Same thing, quick out. This was a deep out, which is even more asinine that he's throwing that ball. And again, I understand people want to pile on Peterman, and that's fair. And I'm not here to, you know, make fun of Peterman or make light of what what has happened. There, are, there comes a point where you legitimately say, like, this is not fair to him to keep putting him out there. And after the game, he was pretty shell shocked and trying to, you know, say he, he's. Like, when he's saying things like, I can't define myself through football, which I understand and I think is one of those uh, beliefs that, you know, more guys should probably have. But when you get to that point right after a game like this, it feels like you're saying, you know it's over. Mm. And you know that, Mm. you know, you have to not let this, like, ruin your life. And, and. It's, more, it's about more than his football career at this point. And right. that's, you know, these guys are human beings, and, and he's done nothing to, you know, this is, again, it's, it's really not his fault. I mean, it's not. Because, yes, the loss is his fault, 100%. Yes. And yeah, the pick six was his he fault. He stinks. Yes. Like, I'm not saying that he's good. He's or not that, a good quarterback. Or that somebody didn't run a right route. It's right. none of that. It's right. on him. But Sean McDermott keeps throwing him out there. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, they signed Derek Anderson, but they could have done that weeks ago. They could have signed anybody else weeks ago. They could have kept McCarron on the roster and said, you know what, we need to cut Peterman because he's, you know, not, you know, after that first game, you could have moved on. There were so many opportunities to move on from this guy. And it has gotten to the point where if you think you can develop him into a legitimate backup, I think you're wasting your time. I think you're spending a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of resources to try to develop a guy who has shown absolutely zero evidence that that's in him, that that's who he is as a football player. You can't, and you can't that's just, a massive blind spot if you do that. You can't actively continue to put him out there and think you're going to get different results now. And that that's the most damning thing. I mean, he has gotten a lot of chances now. And I... Just quickly, going back to what you said about all offseason, the talk was, you know, he, uh, he's, he's got something more to him than, than just, the, just the Chargers game. It doesn't define him. I even remember um, asking, is it, do you think Nathan Peterman gets enough credit for the Colts game, the snow game? And Sean McDermott, like, as serious as could be, doesn't really – do these say these things all that often but for some reason he just has this spot for Nathan Peterman perhaps because he feels personally responsible for him but uh, that's neither here nor there said no I don't think he gets enough credit for that game and it's just been kind of that it all feels like it's been building up like they they continue to push him out there to try and prove themselves right, and like to what you said, he's uh, McDermott being a bit stubborn about about Peterman more so than any other player on the roster. Maybe a close second would be Ramon Humber, <laughs> which, by the way, what the hell were you thinking putting Ramon Humber out there for any snaps when Matt Milano's making the plays he does on a week to week basis? Anyway, back to Peterman. 
when you have a player that shows consistently that he can't do the job, you're doing the man a disservice by having him out there. And that's why, like, after the game, I, I had some heat thrown my way because I said, you just have to feel bad for Nathan Peterman. It's not to say that, like, you have to feel bad because he's, uh, because, you know, he's better than what he is. No, he's not. But as you put it so well, it's not his fault that the Bills continue to put him out there. It's not his fault that they made the decision to name him the starter opening week. It is not his his fault that uh, that the Bills are being stubborn about him and, and wanting to prove everybody else wrong about him. He's not good. We know. We know that. And maybe even he knows that now. I but, would imagine he does. It but, reminds me of when people get so angry at players who make too much money. That's like a, a very common thing for fans, you know, like with Marcel Darius. He makes so much money and he's not earning it. And they get so angry at a guy who doesn't live up to a contract. And I always think it's not their fault that they got, you know, like like a Billy Leno, right, in Buffalo is a yeah. good example. Like, what did you want him to do? Not sign the contract? Not take the money? Say, you know what, I kind of stink. I'm going to give some of this money back. I mean, that's not even how the rules work. It's not like you'd get the cap hit back because Billy Leno says, I'm good. Yeah, you know, I'm going to give you $5 bucks. Or, or Darius says, I, I really didn't earn this signing bonus. I'm going to give it back. I mean, people are, are maybe hesitant to point the finger where it, where it belongs. It's easy to point it at a player and a guy who, you know, like Peterman, out there making just obvious dumb mistakes, mistakes that are dumb and mistakes that, you know, he's making because he doesn't have the talent, he doesn't have the arm, or he, he just doesn't have the ability to play the position at this level. Uh, it's very much the, the Peter principle at play when you've been promoted beyond your means. Mm-hmm. Um, the Peter Man principle, if mm. you will. Um, storing that one away for my column. <laughs> uh, but very much, you know, he, he does not belong. But point the finger at Sean McDermott. Mm-hmm. Don't point it at Nathan Peterman because by all accounts, and I don't know him personally, I mean, I don't know him in his private life, he seems like a, a genuinely decent dude. Mm-hmm. And he's not trying to throw interceptions. He's not giving a lack of effort like Kelvin Benjamin. And if you want to point your finger at a guy like Kelvin Benjamin for not trying hard enough, that's fair. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, you can be angry at Peterman if you want, but I'd say point your finger at Sean McDermott because he's the one who drafted Nathan Peterman. He's the one who at one point somehow came to the conclusion that Nathan Peterman would give his team a better chance to win than Tyrod Taylor would. He put that guy right there into the game when they were in the middle of a a playoff race. If that doesn't tell you how badly he misevaluates what he sees with Nathan Peterman. Mm -hmm. Nothing will. I don't know what it's going to take for him to move on from Peterman. I think he's close. He's getting there where he's going to look and say, this is enough, but Christ, it's a, it's, it's a, a Sean McDermott problem way more than it's a Nathan Peterman problem because how you can sit there and say that this guy is good enough to be your backup I think is it, it's crazy, and there he has no place on this team, but he'll probably stay on the roster for mm-hmm. a little while because of the injury to Josh. And I think to I think this is where you kind of were leading, where McDermott feels like he's closer than ever before to I guess parting ways with Peterman. They might not be able to immediately because. We don't really know what's going on with Josh Allen's elbow at this point in time. But, I mean, after the game, normally on on those types of occasions, when things have happened the way that they did to Peterman, McDermott is a little bit protective over it, right? And over Peterman in particular. And he doesn't really want to throw uh, throw him as a young player under the bus. But I think he's gotten to a point where, you know, even when he was asked about Peterman and 
just you know how how do you take the human hat off and and uh, have and and evaluate and and be become a decision maker if the guys just aren't doing the same things that you see on the practice field and he said young players have to take care of the ball and some of our young players didn't and it's a matter of you either you're either going to learn from the mistakes and grow or you're not and then a decision has to be made and to me that was the most i mean for Sean's standards to what he says when talking about something like that a young player i mean he's seen it now time and time again i think eventually logic and reason is going to take over but man peterman has gotten a lot of chances with with mcdermott and you're absolutely right now it's on mcdermott it's not it's not as though peterman is going to say no to an opportunity to go on the field he's going to do it because that's what he is paid to do he goes out there he just doesn't have the ability to go through with it and the bills got burned by it once again and they they took a game in which to peterman's credit he helped get them to lead the lead and the offense looked perhaps as alive as it did throughout the entire day on that one drive that uh, that he ended with a touchdown pass but then it just totally unraveled again for him again at least he had something good to to kind of hang his hat on but once more defenders it's like playing madden on rookie against peterman and the thing you said about jonathan joseph was perfect because like jalen ramsey did the same thing I forget uh, what what Chargers corner it was, but Davius White did the same thing on the first day right. of training camp. They know it. Everybody knows what he is, and and it felt like after the game, you know, guys were just trying to justify or really trying hard to convince either us or themselves that they still have faith in this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, when Lashawn McCoy was asked what the offense's confidence level with Peterman was. He paused for quite a long time before he said, I'm still confident in Nathan Peterman. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I did not say this, but in my head I said, I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you said that in the press conference, there might have been uh, a, a, uh, a counter. Perhaps. Yeah. But I'm reminded of... And I said, I tweeted this out and I said this to you, I think this might only be the second worst pick six that I've seen from a Bills quarterback in this stadium. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's, it's right up there, but that was the interception that ended E.J. Manuel's career four years ago. Might they have When J.J. Watt had the pick six. Two consecutive trips to Houston that have resulted in the end of a Bills um, quarterback's career. And... Obviously, and EJ's career didn't end, but his time as a starter. Yes, his career in Buffalo was effectively killed by that. That was the kill shot. Well, his his playing career because he went to Oakland. He, he only ever filled in for injuries. Right, you know, played in London, and now he's out. But doesn't it? It reminds you kind of the same thing. Of, yeah. of just like it's not there. And again, same thing with EJ. It's not his fault. He was picked 16th overall. He stinks. He shouldn't have been picked 16th overall. Mm-hmm. It's not a... It's because of know, bad decisions by management. By management. Mm-hmm. And this, the whole quarterback situation has just been botched, I think, here in Buffalo for so long. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you know fans probably have to be more sick of than anything, mm-hmm. is that Josh Allen's out there you know, throwing to nobody and out there before he's ready. Now he's hurt, and the only backup, the only insurance you came into the season with was that guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is malpractice at the quarterback spot, like legitimately. It's 
awful management of the position, the most important position on the field. Especially in a crucial year for your rookie quarterback's development to where, hey, if... It makes them look clueless. And we had had this discussion the week leading up to uh, the Bills naming Josh Allen the starter. Like, was it the right... Was it right timing? Is it the right situation for him? Is he ready for that? Or don't you have to be worried about bad habits or potentially injuries and everything like that? They didn't care. They didn't. They and really. I think they downplayed that so much. You know, Sean McDermott that week talking about, you know, th- that's the best way to learn is to just go out there and take your lumps and you learn by doing. That is true. There, There's some element of that that's true, but... You also don't learn when you get thrown out there before you're ready. And injury aside today, he didn't look like a quarterback who's ready. He didn't look like a quarterback who's ready last week against the Titans. He didn't look like it the week before against the Packers. He showed glimpses of it against the Vikings, but that game wasn't as impressive as the numbers indicated because, again, the defense was carrying the day. It's only it's only in rare occasions during a game that he looked confident in the pocket. Or I mean, one thing I saw him do multiple times today was he just drifts back farther and farther when things aren't open, and or initially when his first read isn't open, and and it creates a bigger negative play potentially. And like it's it's like you have to kind of figure out the pocket at some point. And I know it's young into his career, but still, those are it's it's not it's a trend that isn't going away with him and that's something that they need to curtail quickly yeah and it's not easy to do when he that's why i say maybe it would be a good thing for him to be forced to take a step back and sit for a couple of games because at this point it's it's become a mess mm-hmm. the way that he's playing is not great you know it, it, and it doesn't offer much encouragement and I think every time you see Peterman out there it's a it's a reminder of how poor their plan has been at the quarterback position how poor they've been at evaluating it and when you think about it that way it's hard not to look at Josh Allen and wonder did they get that wrong too did they and I know it's too early before mm-hmm. you guys start tweeting at me and telling me it's too early. I know it's too early to mm-hmm. make the judgment one way or the other. But, it, you know, we're about half, almost half the season into this. And really two years is about what you're going to, at the end of two years, you're going to know one way or the other. At the end of one year, sometimes, you know, I think a lot of people knew after a year with EJ because it only took four games for him to get benched the following year. So you it's fair to wonder it's a fair question to ask when you look at you know the same regime trotted peterman out as the backup Mm -hmm. this you know the sean mcdermott is the one who evaluated the position in practice and put peterman in instead of tyrod taylor last year those are the guys who made the the decision on josh allen and how to develop him and who to surround him with as coaches and if you're sitting there nervous that they messed it up, I'm I'm gonna have a hard time talking you down. Yeah. Because I, I don't you don't see a clear plan and they have no proven track record of getting that position right. It's it's a it's a fair criticism and one that you should I mean, maybe not should, but one that I think could become commonplace with fans. I think you can still have that criticism and still think to yourself, all right, it's still a bit premature to have the final the final tally on Allen. And I'm not and writing what, the obituary yeah, on Josh no, Allen's career by sh- any means. Nor should you be. And it's more about the plan for developing the yes. position because it's not even about Josh Allen at this point or about what you thought of him as a draft prospect or any of that because I think we can all agree – save for a few rare examples in NFL history, situation matters in a big way mm-hmm. to these quarterbacks. And, you know, that's one of the first things people point to with Patrick Mahomes. What a great situation he got put into. Or, or you know, people could even say the same thing about Tom Brady getting to be with Bill Belichick. I think situation is important. 
And that's why this is not even a, you know, this isn't about Josh Allen, the, the prospect, or Josh Allen, the player. It, I mean, in a way it is, but in a lot of other ways it's about they came in, they knew the quarterback position was paramount. They knew that was the number one thing they had to get right to sustain success. The entire plan and everything they did to get Josh Allen, you have to look at it with a critical eye mm-hmm. because they're deciding to bring Josh Allen into this situation where he has... And look, they had money to spend last offseason. The idea that they didn't is a bit of a misnomer because they spent money on Starlo Tulele and Trent Murphy, and it, and they spent draft picks on Tremaine Edmonds and Harrison Phillips. And yes, that has worked. The defense is good. Mm-hmm. But they also decided to neglect the offense and bring a rookie quarterback into a spot with very little talent at wide receiver, very little talent on the offensive line, a offensive coordinator who hasn't had much proven success in the NFL, a quarterback's coach who has not coached the position in the NFL prior to getting to Buffalo last season, no veteran help on the sidelines at all, and the only backup being a guy who threw five interceptions and a half. That was their pl- that is the the facts that, of their plan at the quarterback position. And how that will affect Josh Allen's development long term, I don't know. It's fair to wonder about and I think when you're sitting there trying to evaluate this regime and everything that they've done, that plan at quarterback, you took a quarterback who even the most optimistic of evaluators considered a project, a guy who needed time, a guy who had unbelievable physical skills but needed to learn to harness those, a guy who was not a successful college quarterback and who clearly needed some time to develop and needed the right infrastructure in place to develop. And you provided him with none of it, like absolutely none of it. Not a good offensive line, not good wide receivers, an unproven coordinator, a quarterback's coach who, by all accounts, I mean, there's nothing telling us that he's some sort of quarterback guru. No backup of, you know, any substance. Nobody that could keep him on the bench. It It was a terrible plan. And then you threw him out there. And so maybe he can overcome it and become a legitimate franchise quarterback, and that would save everything. That would make... McDermott and Bean look good and it would save their jobs and all of that. And it's possible that he can overcome you know this this early struggles and everything that's going wrong around him. And there's at times in the past I've thought, "Hey, if a guy can't overcome that, he's not the guy." Mm-hmm. But I think I don't know that it's so cut and dry. You know, the more I, you know, watch how other situations, you know, develop around the league. I don't know that it's that cut and dry because I think you can mess a guy up. And if you think, oh, it doesn't matter when you put him in because if a guy's the guy, he'll be the guy. I see where you're coming from, but I don't know that that's the case. And I think you're getting to the territory where you you have to be worried about Josh Allen's development and what Mm -hmm. this all does to him because he's not showing a lot of signs of progress. Right. And now he's getting banged up. And... I just don't I, – I, I don't know. There's a lot of questions surrounding how they've handled that position. Which, it's the most important position. And you could be talking about how great they've built the defense mm-hmm. and everything that they've done right on that side of the ball. I just don't know if any of it will matter if they mess up on the other side. And this is the entire reason that we had that conversation that we did following the Ravens game. Like, it is it the right time for Josh Allen? Is it the right environment for him to go in there? And – I mean, it was once once you do it, you can't go away from it. So they've put themselves into this spot. They really have. You shouldn't feel bad for them. They chose every single little decision along the way. And while I won't sit here and advocate that they should have kept A.J. McCarron around because I think that probably wouldn't... Uh, have gone particularly well just because I I don't know how much of a fit he was for what they were looking for out of a, a more veteran guy. I think he was a little bit more he wasn't like Derek Anderson. He wasn't he wanted a bit more.
for himself than Derek Anderson clearly does. And so I'm not going to criticize them for that, but every other move that they, they have made. I mean, how about, I mean, why not freaking go out and sign a guy like Matt Moore? Or, or just Blaine Gabbert. Oh, you, boom. The streak is back. Oh, the streak died, but the streak is back. It. We've got a new streak. But but you could have done anything else. I mean, McCarron, sure, they got a, what, a fifth-round pick for him? I mean, that's that's cool. Pretty good. That's, that's That negates the fifth-round pick you wasted on Nathan Peterman. <laughs> fair. Right? Totally fair. And you could have... You could have gone out and signed another veteran to surround Nathan Peterman and Josh Allen with with those players. And heck, you could put Nathan Peterman on the practice squad. Newsflash: I don't think good. anybody's gonna claim that guy on waivers. And if they do, good luck. Yeah, good. Luck, I guess. Hey. I mean, hey, good luck. But go get him. But it is all about mismanagement of of that position and really the environment around it. And that's what is what has to have fans so mad right now about the quarterback spot and uh, quite frankly a lot of it is being taken out on Nathan Peterman and I get it he cost them the game today but you should really point the fingers at Shawnee McProcess over there because I mean not not going through and and uh and doing what is best for his quarterbacks is very much something that will be debated or even viewed as we kind of go forward here through the rest of the 2018 season. Can we, can we even, this kind of just dawned on me as you were saying that. Go on. But I think Sean McDermott may have been more concerned. Maybe you'll, some people might think I'm crazy for saying this, but was he more concerned with Nathan Peterman than Josh Allen when making some of these decisions. Fair. You've you remember how he was talking when they made Josh Allen the starter? Mm-hmm. It wasn't an overall excited tone. Mm-hmm. It it was almost a reluctant one. Mm-hmm. I think, and I'm not sitting here saying Josh Allen is not Sean McDermott's guy. Yeah, but he's more Brandon Bean's guy than Sean McDermott's. Oh, absolutely. I, I think. And McDermott is the one who drafted Peterman. So, of course, he knows that Josh Allen is more important to their long term. But was he too concerned with Peterman and keeping him and saving face and developing him as a backup when he should have been way more concerned with surrounding Josh Allen with the right type of support? I think... I think that is a fair question to ask, and quite frankly, I think we know the answer. And furthermore, even going farther down the rabbit hole here, let's bring it back to something we've talked about. The fact that they decided against getting their new GM ahead of the 2017 NFL Draft. I often think to myself, like, I wonder what Brandon Bean would have done in the 2017 draft. Would he have traded down, got a first-round pick, and, and taken Tredavious White? Or would, have he, would he have taken Patrick Mahomes? Would he have taken Deshaun Watson? And Watson didn't look great today or anything. He holds on to the ball a long time, and we don't know if he's, he's going to be a great quarterback or not. But he certainly showed more signs of promise. And or he a, did show more signs of promise in his first five games than Josh Allen has. And, uh, he also had Nuke Hopkins absolutely. and Will Fuller. Um, that's a, a there's multiple layers to yes. that question. Yeah. But here's where I'll take that conversation. Because throw out what you think of Deshaun Watson, throw out what you think of Patrick Mahomes. I think both are pretty good, but I do think people jumped the gun in declaring Deshaun Watson the next great thing. Sure. I thought yeah. that a lot last year. He was throwing a lot of interceptable passes last year. He holds year. onto the ball he, so long. And I think he could still become a very good player. I mean I he had he had a string of games before this one where he was very good and he was banged up in this game. But maybe this is the the question that needs to be asked. Would the Bills have been better off bringing a rookie quarterback into the situation they had last year as opposed to 
the situation they have right now? I think it's a resounding yes. Because the one thing people say, there are there is a, a faction of humans out there, maybe some of you guys listening are, are in this group, who don't like the Patrick Mahomes talk because they say, well, look at the situation Patrick Mahomes is in. He has Andy Reid. He got to sit for a year behind Alex Smith. He got to, you know, he gets to throw to all these great weapons. That's true. All of it, very true. Fair, fair point. If the Bills picked Patrick Mahomes, he would have got to sit behind Tyrod Taylor, uh, the consummate professional, the hardest worker in the room, a guy who has been around the league and can teach a young quarterback a thing or two you maybe don't have to trade Sammy Watkins because you're sitting there saying, I don't need these picks to stock up ammo for a quarterback. Maybe you don't need to get rid of, you know. And then he's in a situation where he's sitting and he's learning, and he might get to sit the entire year and watch a team make a playoff run. Yeah, maybe you say they don't make the run they make without Tredavious White, who was a great pick and everything else. I just think unequivocally – a rookie quarterback stepping in last year would have been in a much, much better situation to develop than Josh Allen is. Josh Allen borderline should have gotten the Patrick Mahomes treatment. Mm-hmm. It worked for Patrick but they, Mahomes. They didn't. But, ha- they didn't have anyone even close to. You didn't even need an Alex Smith. You needed someone just to go in there, take some, take some hits, and be done with it in t- 2018. But this is what has happened. You have ripped off the band-aid and now you have to figure it out from here it might be the best thing for Josh Allen if he has to miss some games yeah i and that's weird to say or if he's forced to miss some games because then he has to learn more from the sidelines and and learn more in the meeting rooms as long as he takes it seriously as long as he as long as he works at it from from that side of it but it, it might be a positive for him not to play in these upcoming games. Like, I, and, then, and then it takes me back. I mean, if, even going further down the rabbit hole, like, okay, what would Bean have done if he was the GM in 2017? Would he have taken a quarterback? You know, when they declined the option on Sammy Watkins? May 2nd, right before they hired Brandon Bean as their GM. Because, well, yeah, the deadline you had to pick. Why the heck are you hanging on to a lame duck GM in Doug Whaley, which they knew what they were going to do with Doug Whaley as soon as they hired Sean McDermott. I don't care what anyone else says. They knew what they were going to do. Even if it wasn't right away, they had to have known within, within a couple a, of weeks. Within a month at the absolute most. And at that point, guess what? Still a couple months to get a GM before the NFL draft, who and- also did some work on the NFL draft. Right. That, well, that's the thing that I think people miss is, well, you can't just bring a GM in out of nowhere and let all those scouts leave the building with all that information. Or, you know, in this GM, you can't just bring them in this this late into the deal. I, I, it's not like Brandon Bean was not working on the draft. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, he, he was that's his job. Anybody you hired, it didn't even have to be Brandon Bean. Anybody you hired at that spot, that's what they do for a living. You know, he they have... These thoughts, and you have, you know, Sean McDermott working on whatever he's working on. And so you could have done that, very much so. And so to not, you know, that, and that falls on ownership, obviously. Totally. Because, you know, they were friendly with Doug Whaley and didn't want to hurt his feelings. And Terry Pagula was almost in tears talking about how hard it was to fire Doug Whaley. It was a friend of his, you know, that they became close. Well, that might have cost you a lot because, and do we even know at this point that, you know, Brandon Bean is not Sean McDermott's boss. That's mm-hmm. not how this thing is structured. Mm-hmm. And so... They're 1A and 1B. So it's a, and it's not to say Sean McDermott is necessarily Brandon Bean's boss either, but it's one of those situations where, you know, there's not exactly a pecking order uh, and if there is I would say it's Sean McDermott at the top and because he got in first and he's the one who kind of set the tone for that offseason and everything that they were going to do the way that they you know they should have if they were 
savvy with how the compensatory pick formula worked, they wouldn't have signed some of the guys they did when they did. Mm-hmm. You know, when you were let, the way that thing works is when you can, you know, you're going to be letting go of a lot of pending free agents that are going to sign big deals, the Gilmores, the Robert Woods, Marquise Goodwin. That's when you got to be smart about who you're bringing in. And Sean, it seemed like he didn't care. Well, not even care. Know. Didn't know. And that that in itself, not getting a third-round pick. And, you know, maybe this third-round pick is good. Maybe he's not. Whatever. But not getting a third-round pick and giving yourself the option, another asset, in to get guys like Vlad Dukas, who has been solid for them, Andre Holmes, Leonard... Well, Vlad Dukas Leonard, wasn't going anywhere. But Leonard Johnson, Patrick DeMarco, like... Uh, not not getting that type of asset that you can have under contract for four years is to borrow a word that you used earlier malpractice of of the uh, of the highest order when you talk about building a roster. So and guess what? Guess what could have been prevented had they actually gone through and hired a GM. Let's say within three weeks to a month of Sean McDermott being hired, that. That stuff probably doesn't happen. That's still before the free agency window. And if you're ever wondering, like, hey, why does this rebuild feel kind of disjointed? That's well, why. that is exactly why. Because Brandon Bean has been on a delayed path in in terms of what Sean McDermott has been on. Because McDermott got to rule the roost in that first offseason. The first decisions that Bean made were to trade away assets after the fact of what Sean McDermott had already decided to do for that upcoming season. And that was Bean preparing for the actual rebuild in 2018. Not 2017, 2018. I mean, all of these different guys that they had on their roster, and it's just, it's, it's, it was a simple thing that they needed to do, but they let feelings get in the way. It really is what happened. And... This is a broader point, and it's all spurred on by by how they've handled the quarterback decision. But that one decision to keep Doug Whaley, I think, has negatively impacted how they've approached this entire thing. Am I wrong? No, absolutely not. And the other decision that I think McDermott probably deserves more criticism for would be Declining the fifth-year option on Sammy Watkins. Oh, that was the worst decision. The worst. Like, you have a talented young player. I don't care if he's lived up to expectations or not of a fourth fourth overall pick. But, I mean, you have a bona fide good player on your team. And you well, just... I don't even know. See, like, you that's piss part it of away. It. That's, that's what they did. Is, that is part of it. He's a number four overall pick. He's a blue-chip cha- talent. He hasn't been insanely productive or consistent since he left Buffalo. Whatever. But he would be their top target today. Oh, he certainly would and he would be a great asset on this team. I think it's a I don't even think that's why it was such a stupid move. I think it was such a stupid move because it completely neglected maximizing his value. Mm-hmm. Because you probably don't get as much in a trade because he doesn't have that fifth year option. He doesn't have that year of control. And when you don't have that, you lose some of the value in the trade. You force your hand. You telegraph to teams that you're going to have to trade. Like Brandon Bean walked in the door and almost didn't have a choice. You do that and Sammy Watkins doesn't want to come back. He might not have wanted to anyways. He certainly didn't after that. And so now Brandon Bean's sitting there with a receiver who's good, really good, but who he knows won't re-sign. And he'll have to franchise tag or whatever else. And it was also probably the best asset they had on their team. So he he trades him away and collects some value. But to not pick up the option, it forced everything. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he could be on this team, you know, making some noise. And he could have made a difference for them last season. And he could st- he would still be under the the fifth season of his contract yeah. Yeah, right now. Right. He, right. he would still be on that deal. You with, an even option, have, with an option for a franchise for tag For a franchise tag. You wouldn't even have been forced into using the franchise tag on him yet. Declining that was so foolish. And I didn't, you know, the injury, whatever else you want to, you know, use the excuse. His foot's been fine. His foot hasn't been an issue. 
So, I don't know. I think that was one of many short-sighted, narrow-minded decisions that were made in that first offseason. Signings of Patrick DeMarco and Andre Holmes and these guys that, you know, ham-fisted your... You just, he just ham-fisted his way through the first offseason. Yeah. For lack of a better Because term. he never did it before. And that is why it ultimately lands on ownership for allowing you, that to happen. You gave... Think about the power that he had. Yeah. That offseason and the power that he still, to some extent, has. That's the type of power you give to, you know, well, that's the type of power Oakland's given John Gruden. It's the type of power <sighs> Bill Belichick gets, the type of power Andy Reid gets, the type of power coaches with cachet get. Sean McDermott was a first time coach who was in his early 40s. Mm-hmm. And they just. Handed it over. Said, you you, you got this. Because they didn't want to embarrass Doug Whaley. And that and because they were, they just thought so highly of McDermott so quickly for whatever reason. And this is the, the dynamic that fascinates me in the NFL in general. Is that, you know, as you're play, assigning blame for, you know, when things go wrong or when they go right. You know, you start, quarterback's so important. Well, who has to pick the quarterback? Some combo of the coach and the GM, right? Mm-hmm. Well, who has to pick that guy? Eventually, when you climb the ladder, ownership has to put these people in place. And pretty much every owner around the NFL, this is not unique to the Pagulas, pretty much every owner is not qualified to say necessarily who is a good football man and who is not who is a smart gm or a good coach and who is not Mm -hmm. and so that's where you get into a spot where okay robert Kraft hired bill belichick it's kind of luck of the draw in some ways Mm -hmm. and you know giving him the power that he did and handling it you know savvy ownership decisions were made along the way um but the decision to hire these guys and pick the right GM and the right coach, it, it seems like you're, you know, kind of going in blind when you're an owner. You're sitting down and you're going to be impressed by a person or how they present themselves and how they present their plan and their materials and everything else. But how do you know? And furthermore, how do you hire a guy and then say, yeah, this guy. This 42-year-old, or however old he was when he got hired, I think he was 42, mm-hmm. is going to have full... This first-time coach is going to have full reign over, you know, making this thing work. You know, the Rams get Sean McVay, and look how that turns out for them the same year. You know, and what is that? Is that Does that mean that Sam Kroenke is smarter than Terry Pagula at making football decisions? I don't think so. I think it means that... There was some dumb luck involved. It means that, you know, obviously they had a young quarterback and a, the infrastructure in place to compete quicker, and Sean McVay probably saw that. But it just speaks to this larger point of you just put blind faith in a guy that you think is good, but because you don't— Because he interviewed well, and he's got good recommendations. But a few years before that, you also thought Rex Ryan was good. Right. So where where exactly are the qualifications? Vacations to be picking these people. Mm-hmm. And then your head coach probably has a hand in picking that GM, and it probably should be the other way around. Or, you know, it's it's kind of the fascinating team-building dynamic, but it, it, you end up going all the way to the top on this stuff. And there's not really anything that tells you that Terry Pagula necessarily should have the vision to be able to say who's a good football guy and who isn't. But... He, he doesn't know much more than anyone necessarily sitting at home. And, we, you know, you see them go with a defensive-minded coach and the ultimate offensive explosion in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And when you know the quarterback position is what needs to be fixed more than anything and what the Bills have gotten wrong more than anything. I mean, a lot to unpack. Yeah. And probably not going to get prettier anytime soon. No, if, they'll sneak out some wins because this defense is unreal. Yeah. But it's really freaking good and and we're we're probably not going to get to the defense but just quickly they have been great for a month straight now and they're loaded on that side yes, of the ball and yes. they're wasting it. And 
they're wasting it because two of the guys that are playing the best, or two of the guys at least that played the best today, are Lorenzo Alexander and Kyle Williams. And they're not going to be able to play this way for much longer. Yeah, th- this was a big day for Kyle. This was the first time he's really popped this year, and, and he did in a big way. Starlo Tulele is not a young man. Um, you know, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer aren't old, but they're in the prime of their career right now, and this is a year of their prime that will go to the wayside. You know, Tredavious White is young and rising. Tremaine Edmonds, young and rising. Matt Milano, same thing. Jerry Hughes, running out of time. He is. Trent Murphy, not super young, getting banged up a lot. Mm-hmm. Again, they've got a great defense right now and probably for the next year or two, but by the time the offense catches up, you're going to have some holes on that defense. You're going to have some old guys. Maybe that's what they're thinking. And Maybe that's that's what they're thinking, that that by that point their their quarterback would be established. Or, But, as we know, things change every single week. And this Josh Allen injury, should it cost him some games, is definitely going to change the trajectory of the season, which... I know the the rap sheet report earlier today was that uh, you know the Bills are unlikely to trade McCoy, but if you get a prognosis on Josh Allen saying, "Hey, he's done for the next month," you've got the Colts on the road next week, which all of these games that I'm going to say are probably closer to a loss than a win with either Derek Anderson or Nathan Peterman playing the position. Am I wrong there? Probably not. Man, if Derek Anderson wins you a football game, that'll be... Yeah. Quite. I was reminded today, every time I see the Bills wear white with the blue pants, I was, I'm always reminded of Kyle Orton's uh, Never heroics but in you've Detroit. Got, you've got the Colts. That would be reminiscent of winning with Kyle Orton the way they did. True. You've got the Colts. One in five Colts. You are playing better, but one in five. You've got the Patriots at home for that Monday night game. You've got that the, should be an easy, easy dub. The for, for the Bills. Yeah. Oh yeah, you've got the Bears at home, and who do they have after that? The to Jets, I think. Uh, yes, the Jets on the road, I believe. Yep. Um, so, I mean, it's not like like if they if he's done for the next four weeks, are you sitting there thinking, well, we still have a shot at this thing, or does that change your perspective a little bit? Yeah, it probably should because you're now sitting there at two and four. The defense will give you a chance to compete in most games, but this team isn't going to the playoffs. And it might change your perspective from the standpoint of, you know, one of the main reasons you're probably keeping LaShawn McCoy is to give Josh Allen some semblance of talent around him. Mm -hmm. And if he's going to be banged up, then maybe you don't really care as much about that. And you start to make LaShawn McCoy, Kelvin Benjamin, anybody else available. And we didn't even get into Kelvin Benjamin today Mm-mm. and that whole fiasco. Mm-hmm. More drama that just seems to follow that guy around. So, um, yeah, it's a messy situation and one that they're going to have to navigate at the trade deadline and beyond. All right. So this turned more big picture than anything, but... That's what, what we do. We're yeah. big picture people here. Yeah. We, we're giving you the 10,000-foot view. Yeah. We need to. I mean, it's, somebody's got to do it. It's only right. God damn it. <laughs> Let's get to the award, shall we? Um, crap, I didn't even think about Dre Archer or Vontae Davis awards today. Vontae Davis uh, you, is pretty easy. You have Vontae. Vontae Davis is pretty easy. I'll start there. That's Charles Clay. He was on fire early, and then Ooh. I don't know where he went. Yeah. Uh, he, he looked like he was cooking with gas early in this game, and then he was gone. That's a Charles Clay thing to do. Yeah. Um, he was close to winning it last week, too. He had four catches. I believe they all came in the first half. Uh-huh. Because I remember us sitting there early in the game. Wow, Charles Clay already has four catches. And then that was, that was it. That was all. Yeah, uh, I'm going to say the Dre Archer Award goes to the Bills special teams today. Ooh, they, they probably would have been better off if they didn't show up. Yeah! Because <laughs> if you think about it, Ray-Ray McLeod doesn't muff the punt. If they don't punt, then Corey Borges doesn't get one blocked. I mean, yeah, they would have been better off. Hauschka was Ooh. great today. How about this? Rather than the special teams, Crossman. We'll say Danny Crossman gets the Dre Archer Award. Yeah, Where was because he evidently the Bills were not coached on special teams. <laughs> because if they were, then they wouldn't have been tripping all over themselves Mm-mm. all game long. But, hey, what can you do? How about uh, special teams? It's a third of the game. you got to keep 
Andre Holmes and Patrick DeMarco and Julian Stanford and hey, Lafayette Pitts and they did make Stanford an active. Well, today. maybe that's why. That's the that's why. <laughs> Whatever. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. That they. It's a third of the game, except that it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, come on, Darlene. I know you've got a couple of contenders here. I'm, I've I'm got a come on, Darlene. To hear uh, what one. I. I'm gonna keep it to this game. Uh, and within the scope of what happened here at NRG Stadium, the "Come On, Darlene" to me goes to the national anthem singer today before the game, and it has nothing to do with his rendition of the Star Spangled Banner, which was wonderful. Uh, it was perfectly fine; I had no issues with it. However, I don't know if this is a Texas thing. You know, perhaps I'm being insensitive to any Texans out there. But he had on a Texans jersey, mm-hmm. which is fine. Because which is he's in and of itself anthem. fine. Mm-hmm. I have I'm not anti jersey, mm-hmm. uh, as you guys know. I <laughs> I give away many jerseys. I spread the jersey love. However, this man, he had on a jersey. He had on jeans. Independent of one another, those two things are fine. And a big Texas belt buckle. However, when you tuck your jersey into your jeans, mm. you become a leading candidate for the come on darling. And it's not even just the initial tuck. It's the lifting out a little bit to oh, where yeah. it flops to over the, ge- the, yeah. the waist level a little bit. Which is like a classic, like, little league look. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're going to if you're gonna well, tuck in a thing. jersey or a polo or something, make it. Yeah. You know what? If you're going to tuck in, you can tuck in a, a, a polo. You can tuck stuff into your jeans. Generally speaking, you probably shouldn't tuck like a athletic shirt into your jeans. Yeah, that's, probably not. That's kind of an, an old man look a little bit. You can, but you can get I'll to even it. allow that. But if you're going to wear a jersey, have some self-respect. <laughs> you know, you're you're not playing out there, bro. Like, you're, you're not playing in the game. You know, these guys, the players, you know, can tuck their jerseys into their, mm-hmm. their pants and whatnot. For crying out loud, you got on a pair of Levi's and you're stuffing your oversized jersey into them. You look like a buffoon. Come on, Darlene. Wow. Uh, grow up, Peter Pan. <laughs> I was going to say, grow up, Peter Man. <laughs> um, all right. My come on, Darlene. Hmm. Wow, I, I kind of got lost in, in, your, in your flow there. And I just, my goodness. Um, Wow, I I genuinely don't have one right now. This is this is bad. I'm sorry. You had I, one job. No, I've, Bonus I've got bonus. Come on, Darlene. I've Joe got B for not coming up. With I've a got come multiple on, come on. I I literally just had one in my mind. It was something. Oh, here it is. I remember what I thought of. My come on, Darlene goes to Matthew Fairburn. Oh, geez, I know where this is going. Because oh crap, did I forget it again? I freaking forgot it again. Oh. My come on, Darlene, goes to you for not bringing up Blaine Gabbard's name on the last podcast. That's fair. Where did you think I was going? I thought you were going to go into my Madden habits. Oh, no, I wouldn't do that to you. I wouldn't do that to you. I mean, you, that's, a, that's a story for another day. <laughs> but my come on, Darlene, goes, goes to you for not doing the one job that you had. On this podcast. And it was it would have been a perfect time to do it. And you got I called out for mind, it. And I did, because nothing gets by our listeners, the savvy bunch that they are. Because I mean, that would have been, a, I would have had a perfect chance to say that they could have just signed Blaine Gabbert months ago and not had to have signed Derek Anderson when we were talking about Derek Anderson. But what was I thinking? You can't go, you can't go back. And like, like I said, that's why I started a new streak. Yeah. Come on, Darlene. Matthew but we're he- next week we're heading to Lucas Oil Stadium where Blaine Gabbert once had an 80-yard touchdown you, you to Mike don't, Thomas. You don't have, so this streak is going nowhere. You don't have to give bonus Blaines here. You know, just because just to make up for lost time. Just because one you know hitting streak gets snapped doesn't mean another one can't be even better. Mm-hmm. And I think this one could go on until the end of time. Also, everyone, did you know that the Texans employ the Bizarro Bills beat? Yes. Did you know that? They're there to win the game for the Texans. Jonathan Joseph is the inverse of my my first and middle name, Joseph Jonathan. So, Bizarro Bills beat. 
beating the Bills. How neat is that? Probably not neat for a lot of you. I'm sorry I brought it up. I won't do that again. And I'm sorry that my cousin was so deadly accurate with his leg today. I'm sorry that my my inverse name NFL person uh, was um, baited Nathan Peterman into the throw that quite possibly could have ended his career as a start as a playing NFL player. Anyway, okay, so we're gonna get going. The next time we will talk to you will be on Thursday of this coming week, where uh, the Bills. We'll probably have some more information on Josh Allen if he's going to be out some time, and we'll have to figure out if Derek Anderson or Nathan Peterman is going to be playing in the game. And we'll have much, much more on Blaine Gabbert as well. Yeah, we got to go. All right, for Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you on Thursday. See ya. (laughs)